Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You got Tommy and Randy here, and today we're going to go over a booklet, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and their end-time applications. And this book has over, it has 339 questions and answers about it, and we're going to put a PDF in the description below. And uh, we're only going to give excerpts from uh, each section, because I mean, we can't go through 339 questions and answers, but we're going to put it down in there, so that way you guys can download it and study it for yourselves. And I'll put the uh, website where it comes from because there's a lot of material on there you guys can pull out and study for yourselves. But, okay, this starts out with the following is a short description of the pagan trinity doctrine. The pagan trinity belief, the Christian idea of the trinity, may be summed up in these familiar words. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God. And yet they are not three gods, but one God. All three are co-eternal and co-equal. Tommy, uh, you wanted to start with God the Father in the Bible. So here's a question I want to ask you. Why is knowing God so important, Tommy? So by knowing God and His Son, we may have eternal life, and you can see this in John 17, 3. Also, we perceive grace and peace through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And this is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. In question number six, Tommy, how many gods do we find in the Old Testament? Only one God is mentioned, the Father. The Bible says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? And this is in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. The Lord our God is one, Deuteronomy 6, 4. The Lord, He is God. Okay, there is none else beside Him. This is Deuteronomy four thirty-five. But the Lord is the true God. He is a living God and an everlasting King. And that's Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10. Tommy, did you see a trinity there? No. Okay. I think one means one in the Bible. But the Lord is the true God. Amen. There's none other else besides three. No, no. it says him. Yep. Amen. Uh, Tommy, why is the Father referred to the most high God, the one true God, the highest, and the only true potentate? Can't only one have these titles? But how can that be if all are co-equal? The belief of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the disciples was that there was one God. Just taking the New Testament, it says, but one God referring to the Father, and this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Romans chapter 3, verse 30, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, James chapter 2, verse 19, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Mark chapter 12, verse 29. It also states that there is none other God but one. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, Mark chapter 12, verse 32, it refers to the only true God, and that's in John chapter 17, verse 3. And Jesus refers to the Father as greater than all, and this is in John chapter 10, verse 29. Were Jesus and the Bible writers all wrong? Mm. So now we're going to switch to, we know that there's only one true God in the Old Testament, amen, the Father. Yes, and there's several other examples, but we're just going to end there with the Father, and then we're going to move on to the Son of God. Okay, the only begotten Son of God. What does brought forth in Proverbs 8, 24, and 25 refer to, Tommy? 
Okay, Proverbs 8 starts by talking about wisdom, but in verses 24 through 31, the topic seems to change. It reads, When there were no depths, I was brought forth, and when there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. Some other translations use, I was given birth, instead of brought forth. How could this be talking about wisdom? Hasn't wisdom always been a part of God? Proverbs chapter 8, verses 27 through 29 mentions, He prepared the heavens, I was there, and continues to mention the clouds, the sea. And when he appointed the foundation of the earth, verse 30 says, Then I was by him, as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Other versions state, Then I was beside him as a master workman, or then I was the craftsman at his side. The Bible in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 24 and 25 uses the same Hebrew word brought forth in Psalms chapter 51, verse 5, when David said, I was brought forth in iniquity, and sin my mother conceived me. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it reads, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in a swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 5, it says, And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God to his throne. Could this section in Proverbs 8 be referring to the Son of God, who is the wisdom of God? And this is, you can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Tommy, who is speaking in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22 and 30 that you had just read? And what happened in the days of eternity, Tommy? Is it not Jesus speaking under the title of wisdom? The scripture says, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. To the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this is in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. Okay, is not Jesus pointing the reader to the time before creation of anything, a time in eternity, as the time when he was brought forth or possessed, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22, by the Father? Begotten as truly the Son of God before yes. everything was created. Amen. Tommy, if God the Father is not literally a father, and Jesus not literally a son, does not that mean that they are just taking the role of father and son, Tommy? If the father and the son are just a metaphor, what about the rest of the Bible? Doesn't that make the God of the universe who created the languages a bad communicator or worse, untruthful? This shakes the very foundation of the gospel. How much of the Bible are we to understand as not literal? Mm. So we're going to go to the Holy Spirit next, right, Tommy? Yes. Can we receive both the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of Christ? Paul writes, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall... Also, quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwell in you. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Here, Paul interchanges the terms spirit of God and spirit of Christ, spirit of him and his spirit. Paul believed that the Holy Spirit was both the Father and the Son. Jesus said, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we, meaning the Son and the Father, 
will come unto him and make our abode with him. And that's in John chapter 14, verse 23. So that's not a third being. No. No. Okay. Uh, who is this spirit referred to as the comforter and the spirit of truth? 168, Tony. Okay, and this is in John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. Jesus explains about the spirit of truth, also called the comforter, saying, Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you, which shall be, he will be in you, and that's future tense, in verse 17. Okay, and then Jesus is telling the disciples that the comforter dwells with them. Then he tells the disciples, the world sees me no more, but you see me. And this is in verse 19. Wasn't it Jesus who was with the disciples and they saw him each day? Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And that's in verse 18 of chapter 14. How could he come to his disciples after his death unless it was by his spirit? But Jesus doesn't leave us guessing. He says in the next verse, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And this is in verse 20. And to bring the point home, in order to comfort the disciples after his death, he says, He that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Verse 21. Manifest means show. Hmm. Does the Bible give us clues as to who is the Spirit of Truth, Tommy? Okay, does not the Bible say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And this is in John chapter 14, verse 6. And that truth came to us through the Son. This is in John chapter 1, verse 17. And the Son is full of truth. This is in John chapter 1, verse 14. If the truth came to us through God's Son, wouldn't the Spirit of truth then be Christ's Spirit? How is Christ in us? Does not the Bible say that God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father? And this is in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. The Spirit of His Son. Amen? Yep. So, Tommy, the next question is, I guess we're referring to the next chapter, is how does this affect us in the end times, right? If the Trinity is referred to in the New Testament, why was there no controversy mentioned in the Bible? There would have been much written in the New Testament about a controversy between the Jews and Christ's followers if Christ or his disciples taught differently than their beliefs. For the first three years, the gospel was preached mainly to the Jews. Paul said he has done nothing against the beliefs and customs of the Jews. That's in Acts chapter 28, verse 17. The Jews believed in one God, and they were waiting for his Son to come. Ask a Jew, is the Spirit of God another separate deity from the Most High God? Or is he three separate gods united in their mission and purpose? To them, it is a pagan teaching and blasphemy. Jesus said, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. John chapter 4, verse 22. The Gentiles thought they were worshiping the same God only at a different place and their way. John chapter 4, verse 20 through 21. How did the idea originate of worshiping three gods. Before sin, there were only two divine beings, the Father and the Son. We see that in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4, Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. After sin entered this earth, people started worshiping the Son. It has been discovered in many different ancient cultures that they worshiped the three phases of the Son, sunrise, the sun at noon, and sunset. This alignment forms a pyramid, which, by the way, so does the Trinity symbol. 
But in the new heaven and new earth, only two divine beings will be worshipped, the Father and the Son. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Revelation 22, 1 and 3. Revelation 5 and 13. In fact, the sun gods were worshipped on a day named for the sun. God's day of worship was instituted at creation. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Spoken from heaven and etched in stone by the finger of God. Exodus chapter 20. 1 and 8 to 11. He has never been changed in the Bible, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, and will continue to be kept in heaven, Isaiah 66, 23, for his name is in his holy day, the Sabbath. Abba means father. You can look that up in the Strong's Concordance, 309. What did the golden calf that people worshiped at Mount Sinai reveal? Wow. The golden calf was based from the Egyptian calf gods. The calf erected at Mount Sinai was in honor of more than one pagan god. The Bible tells us, and all the people tore off their golden earrings, which they wore in their ears, and brought them into Aaron, and he received from them their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. After it, he made it a molten calf. And they said, These be your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Exodus chapter 32, verse 4. They asked Aaron, make us gods which go before us, Exodus 32:23. Here it states that they were worshiping gods, plural. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made the proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord, Exodus 32:5. Moses told the Lord, these people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold, Exodus 32:31. The altar that Aaron built for the golden calf is still standing at the base of Mount Sinai. An altar built of stones was how God the Father was to be worshipped. You shall build the altar of the Lord your God of whole stones. Deuteronomy 27 verse 6. To put this calf idol on a stone altar and to call it a feast to the Lord was blasphemous. Cattle were a symbol of the worship in ancient Egypt for they provided food, milk, and leather for clothing and shelter. The Egyptian pagan gods were often depicted as a bull, cow, or calf. The bovines most often had a sun disk between their horns. Nimrod, his wife, and Tammuz were the first to be worshipped as sun gods. When the people of Babel were scattered or Babel were scattered, the names of the false gods changed, but it was still a sun worship. It seems that the gods of the golden calf of the Israelites worshipped at Mount Sinai represents the Egyptian sun gods. Man, how, there's a lot in that, isn't Yeah, it? there is. Uh, how can the Holy Spirit be a third deity? A spirit comes from a person or a deity. Okay, it is their mind, will, and emotions. If the Holy Spirit is the name of a third deity, wouldn't it be called the Spirit of the Holy Spirit? Nowhere in Scripture do we find that term or the words God the Holy Spirit. It is just as confusing as the Trinity is to be understood. Does it seem risky to deny that the Father is really what he says he is, a Father, and that Jesus is his only begotten Son, Tommy? Scripture states, He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. This is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. We don't want to have the spirit of the Antichrist. We should want to follow a thus saith the Lord, also, why in the above verses is it not denying the Holy Spirit mentioned, but only the Father and the Son? Tommy, in 324, what does God say about the practices, beliefs, and the worship of Babylon? In the end times, God says, referring to Babylon, Come out of her, my people, that you may not be partakers of her sins, so that you 
received not of her plagues. And this is in Revelation chapter 18, verses 2 through 4. This verse says, God's people are in Babylon, following the ways of the world and spiritual deceptions, and he wants his people to come out. Babylon was destroyed centuries ago, but the pagan practices continue today. How did the doctrine of the Trinity come about? When the controversy over the matter of the Trinity blew up in 318 A.D. between two churchmen from Alexandria, Arius the deacon of Alexander and his bishop, Emperor Constantine stepped into the fray. Although Christian dogma was in complete mystery to him, he did realize that a unified church was necessary for a strong kingdom. When negotiations failed to settle the dispute, Constantine called for the first ecumenical council in church history in order to settle the matter once and for all. 300 bishops gathered in Nicaea. In 325, the doctrine of the Trinity was hammered out. The God of the Christians was now seen as having three essences or natures in the form of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't until 451 AD at the Council of Chalcedon that, with the approval of the Pope, the Nicene Constantinople Creed was set as authoritative. Debate on the matter was no longer tolerated. To speak out against the Trinity was now considered blasphemy, and such earned stiff sentences that ranged from being put in prison to torture and even death. Christians now turned on Christians, maiming and slaughtering thousands because of a difference of opinion. Brutal punishment and even death did not stop the controversy over the doctrine of the Trinity. However, and the controversy continues even today, Tommy, the majority of Christians, when asked to explain this fundamental doctrine of their faith, are hard-pressed to explain their beliefs. It is explained away as a mystery, yet the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. Do we need to examine the Trinity doctrine, which is the central doctrine and cornerstone of the Roman Catholic faith, upon which are based all their other teachings of the church? The Catholic Encyclopedia, our handbook for today's Catholics, page 16. Protestants reject rosary beads, saying the Hail Mary, holy water, the confessional, the Pope is having divine authority, indulgence, praying to Mary and saints. Mary having a virgin birth, also praying for the dead, communion being the literal body and blood of Christ, and so many doctrines that are not scriptural. Just because a Trinity doctrine has been taught for hundreds of years does not make it the gospel or a thus saith the Lord, Tommy. Yeah, and to sum this up at the end of this book, it reads, uh, But to us there is but one God the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. The Father, the Most High, the one true God, the highest, is the source of all things, His Son is the channel He uses to communicate to us. Through His Son, called the Branch of Righteousness in Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 and 15, man was reconciled with God so that both the Spirit of Christ and God can dwell in us. So the Father is the source, the Most High God, the only true God, and the highest. The Son is the channel, the only begotten, the express image of the invisible Father. The Holy Spirit, through Christ we are reconciled to the Father, so that both can dwell in us. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. And this is in John chapter 14, verse 23. An easy illustration, a mountain representing the Father, the rock from the mountain representing the Son, and water representing the Spirit, flowing out of the mountain, which is the Father, through the rock, which is the Son, to us. 
And I know people are going to say, oh, well, you're not supposed to use anything to uh, replicate God or anything, but the Bible uses this example. We didn't come up with this example. My prayer is that all who read this is will be as the Bureans in the Bible and study the scriptures for yourself and pray for God to reveal truth to you. As Jesus pointed us to his Father, we need to love the Father as we love his Son. The Father deserves our love our worship, our praise, and our obedience, for He is the source of all things, the source of all love, all power, all wisdom, mercy, forgiveness, and a multitude of other qualities. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's in Galatians chapter 1, verse 3. So may the love of the Father and Son abide in you by their Spirit, and give you joy and peace. Tommy, I'd like to say one last thing. Please send this to your ministers in your churches, and please give this to any people that maybe don't go to church that have a relationship, but we're asking, please give this information to the people that are behind the pulpit, and you also study it with your Bible. Download this book and study this topic from your Bible and your Bible alone. Thank you. Take care, and God bless.